You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. This episode is brought to you by Hope is Alive. Hope is Alive exists to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. Join us Saturday, September 30th for our Sobriety Sprint 5K as we remember, honor, and celebrate those who've lost their lives. This family-focused event will feature a one-mile fun run, inflatables, food trucks, and more. Register to run or honor a loved one at sobrietysprint.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, host, back at the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. Um, we've been trying to do this episode for a while. Uh, it's, it's almost a year, I think, since, we've, when, since we actually met doing TEDx together. Um, gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today uh, Mr. Taylor Doe, also known as Tito. Well, thank you for having me on the pod. What's I'm excited. That? I am. I am excited too. It's. Uh, I was looking at the other, looking at the calendar. I was like, wow, it was like over you know just over a year ago. I think when we when we did the the TEDx yes. Oklahoma City and um, doing that was nerve wracking. And thanks to David for the opportunity because it was fantastic. Yeah. I'd love to do it again. Uh, and just kind of seeing the group that we had, you know, with so many impactful stories and so many great stories, and everybody's story was super unique. Um, and now I live on YouTube forever. Some of us have, some of those videos have done okay, and some of those, like yours, have gone stratospheric, which I love. Uh, which you know, I think there's there's people that um, take, like like for myself, like I took the opportunity. It was definitely a bucket list thing. It was something I can say I've done, and you know, it's great. And I think people like yourself took it and like this is what I meant to do, right? I meant to go on stage. I meant to speak to people. I meant to share a message. Mm. And that is exactly what you've done in the last year. And I love it. I love seeing it. I love the video climbing in views. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it was just meant to be. Um, and that's Thank what we're going to talk about today. But as you know, we got to go through, get to set some context and get through a little bit of um, timeline here. So tell me a little bit about you, man. Were you, uh, were you born and raised in Oklahoma? Yes, I'm I'm an Oklahoma boy. Okay. So I grew up in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, just north of Tulsa. And then went to the University of Oklahoma 
and then moved to Oklahoma City, got a job at Sandridge Energy, uh, doing community outreach and employee care there. And then after Sandridge, started a tech company with one of my brothers, Chris. And that's what we kind of do full time now is uh, run that tech company. So, yeah. Uh, y O Y O U from Bottlesville. Man, I, you know, you grow up in Oklahoma and it's, it's a little bit of like OU, OSU. And so I kind of grew up mm-hmm. uh, an OU fan and my older sister went there and um, just kind of had some friends. And so it's kind of between OU, kind of this big campus. Okay. And then my family has some history at a small Christian school in Illinois um, called Greenville College. Okay. And so my, my grandpa was a professor there for a hundred years. My uncle was a professor, like all my uncles, my mom went there. Yeah. And so it was kind of a, a family thing between kind of this really small school and then OU and just didn't feel like I could really do the small school thing. I really wanted to do the kind of the big campus feel and had some other friends going to OU. And so made that, made that decision that way. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do when you left high school to go to university and just no, no, no. you you started a tech company. Were you into tech? We've, I think my family in general, like my, my dad and then even my brothers, we've kind of always liked technology. I grew up with a computer in the house, my, but my brother would be the one who is definitely the he's he's the one who codes and and has built the app i do all the marketing and i'm more of a people person so i i studied human relations at ou Uh, and so that was my my main focus and there's kind of at ou there's human resources and human relations Uh, human resources is in the business school human relations is in arts and sciences and a lot of people go into nonprofit work uh, who kind of go through that that major so didn't know what i wanted to do when i when i got there stumbled on to human relations and was like, oh, this is all about people, connections, communication, group dynamics, uh, and even youth and youth and families and things like that. I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Does that come from kind of being involved in youth ministry growing up? Yeah. I mean, I was involved in, in the church youth ministry, but I would, I would probably say it kind of stems from, I would say my mom and my dad, and then even my grandparents. I mean, I grew up in a home where kind of our, there was kind of a legacy of care and like acknowledging and seeing and caring for people. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I've saw, I saw that my grandpa for many years and my grandmother and then even my parents, my, my mom just retired recently as a family practice physician in Bartlesville practiced there for 30 years. So I kind of got to see the way that she cared for people for a very long time and like watch people grow up and care for people. And then my dad is, he's just hilarious. And so he's always talking with people. I can remember growing up and seeing him uh, on stage at church doing the church announcements and just being, being like really witty and funny with it and like connecting with with the people who are at the church and then uh, just seeing how he kind of moved and served in our community. So I definitely had kind of these beacons, these people in my life who uh, have always kind of encouraged me to care for others. And then that really aligned with human relations at OU. Yeah. You think I want to do this. I want to get, oh, know, yeah. if I'm going to go to school. And, and I guess at the time when, you know, when, when we go to university as an 18, 19 year old, you know, yes, we kind of have some idea, but we're also kind of like, we're, we're very flexible at that time. Right. We're like, Oh, this sounds good. Or this sounds mm-hmm. good. Like it's, and also you've got time at that age. Yeah. You know, it's different if you're kind of like 35, 40 and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Just still figure that out. Yeah. But when you're 18, 19, you can kind of like, you know, honestly, I think it's until you're 30, you can figure it out. Yeah. Right. And you just do and try stuff. So it was nice that you kind of had that opportunity and human relations popped up. 
do you remember like the day that you were like, yeah, I'm going to do oh, humor geez, writing? Oh, jeez, no. I have, no? A ter- I have a terrible memory. <laughs> no, I, 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 don't, I don't really even remember how I found it, honestly. Um, but once I got there, interacted with some amazing professors, uh, one of my favorite professors and now the dean there, and just spent time with him. And we, we grabbed lunch uh, semi-frequently and, and just keep up with him. So he was definitely, there, there were people that I bumped into at the University of Oklahoma that really impacted kind of my trajectory. Mm-hmm. On, on kind of where where I am today, so yeah, big into the football scene when you were in school. Uh, yeah, it, freshman year, it, yeah. it kind of like tapered <laughs> a little bit. You know, it's like you you go early with your freshman year, and then it's like, man, I'm not gonna go as early my sophomore year. Then by senior year, it's like, you know, if I'm there, maybe by kickoff we're good. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not like a super diehard yeah. football guy. I go to I go to a game every year, every few years, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. yeah. So, so when you know you're doing, um, you know, you're doing human relations, right? You, you're in human relations in university. You kind of fall in love with it. It's something that you're comfortable doing because you've seen family do it, and yes. it's about people, and just comes naturally to you. And you do that for a full four years, right? You like, yeah. commit to it. When do you know, like, during kind of the human relations kind of four year period of like? okay, what are the jobs that I can actually go into and, and what is the work that I can do? Because obviously your college timeline's running out and you're like, I need to get a job, I need to build a career, I need to make money and yes. have a life. Um, people listening probably don't think there's thought of a lot of money in human relationships. Yeah. In relations, right? Yeah. It's a job. So Yeah, a lot of people go into nonprofit work, which uh, is is not highly, highly paid. Uh, but... So when I was at OU, I, I started a, a campus organization called Reach, and we would do community service, like fun community service mm-hmm. projects. And uh, so I, I let, started and led that for three years. And, and some of the things we do is like, um, we'd go and buy a whole bunch of pizza and deliver and eat with the people who had to clean the stadiums, uh, the stadium after a football game. So for the night games, their lunch break was like 2 a.m. Oh, wow. And uh, this is a lot of like temp workers. So like transportation's an issue and like there's not a whole lot of places open to eat. And so we would just buy a ton of like pizza shuttle and and get that delivered and just hang out with the people who are cleaning and just say, hey, thank you. Yeah. Like we know we trashed this place during game day. 80,000 people, 80, dropping people just yeah. dropping stuff. Right. And then you are the people who have to come behind. And so we just want to say thank you and uh, and meet you and, and all that. We, we did a senior citizen prom. Mm-hmm. where we'd go to a, a senior living home and play the best hits of the 50s and 60s. And we'd we'd crown a senior prom king and queen and uh, both for like the kind of the elderly as well as college and uh, do, we had a photo booth, prom photo booth. And it, it was just a bunch of fun, just like college students just ha- like getting creative and having fun serving. Uh, and kind of the last thing uh, that we kind of continued as a tradition was a fast food Valentine's. Okay. And so this was... This was something that uh, we did on Valentine's Day where we'd go and buy a whole bunch of cards and chocolates and roses and deliver them to ladies who were working at fast food restaurants in Norman. So we'd hit every fast food restaurant in Norman and just kind of roll up and be like, hey, we're thinking about you. Happy Valentine's Day. Here's this, you know, (laughs) and uh, it was really great. The first few times as you kind of roll through the drive through and you're like, yo, how many ladies are working? And they're like, uh, <laughs> like none. 
like who's this creeper you know but as we kind of you know got got there it, it started to work out and we were met with you know tears and and right. you know late, giving hugs and and just saying hey we we're, we care about you thank you for the work you do yeah. you know we're, we roll through Taco Bell at all hours of the night I know you see the craziest things and so we just say hey we're thinking about you so that has been going on for the last you know, 15 plus years at this point. So you continued after university, that's the one you guys continued to do and and kind of brought that back to your neighborhood in Oklahoma city. And, and um, and so the whole reach thing, was that like a class project? Was that a personal project for you while you were doing, Mm -hmm. like, was there anything to do with your degree? Uh, it, Yes and no. So okay. the answer would be no. I, I wanted to, I've always had a heart for people, love serving, did some stuff in high school. Like I just love creatively serving people. And so that kind of spurred into college. I met some guys who I was in a fraternity and I met some guys who kind of had the same heart of like, Hey, let's serve. Let's do some fun stuff while we're here. Like we feel like we kind of live in this bubble, mm-hmm. um, especially kind of in the Greek system. And we, we want to get outside that bubble. And so that's what kind of led to coming up with these creative, creative ways and then would partner with the human relations department and students would get extra credit for coming to these to these service opportunities. So that's kind of the overlap, but it didn't start because of that. Uh, And then handed reach off to another guy who was passionate about serving the community. Uh, But yeah, fast food Valentine's was the thing that was kind of like, hey, uh, let's continue to do this. This is just really fun. It kind of grew to some other cities and some other groups kind of picked it up. And then my youngest brother went to to Baylor and did it with his friends down there. So it's kind of cool to kind of see that kind of kindness spread one drive through at a time. So And And that's kind of like, it was like a little bit about, you know, what, what kicked off your TEDx talk, right? It was like, this was the, you had a moment during one of those fast food kind of Valentine's nights. And it, I, what I thought was hilarious too, was like, you went all out, you guys dressed up, got a limo. <laughs> like it wasn't yeah. just like you're rolling through in someone's truck. Like you yeah. guys were dressed to the nines, like, you yeah. know, penguined up, dicky bow, you know, the whole bow tie yes. thing. And, and, um, cause the guys would get excited about it. So, so when you come back to Oklahoma city and you start doing that, like, seems like most people in college will have jobs and stuff now. Yeah. So it's, you go into the, you go back to kind of like your roots and helping youth and stuff and yeah. find like kids to do it with you. Yeah. So I say kids, they're probably like, you know, 16. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kids to us. Yes. So, um, to kind of backtrack a little bit. So after college, um, got a, got a job and we'll kind of circle back how, how this happened, but got a job at an energy company here in Oklahoma city doing community outreach. Okay. Uh, so they allowed me to work in schools on the East side of Oklahoma city. So I, um, in partnership with, with another company, um, we'd have two, two of us that do these kind of school wide assemblies. So we'd go into these schools, we'd have a positive word of the month. We call it the hot seat. And okay. so we had this stool that we painted red We had a hot seat wrap, hot seat mailbox where kids could like write us postcards. We're just there to like encourage students, right? And build relationships with students and teachers and families in the community. And so, um, that, uh, was something that I did for, for many years, probably six or seven years of like three assemblies a week at multiple schools on the East side, just building relationships. And I found a kind of just naturally found this core group of guys and we started spending time together. I'd go to their basketball games, started to know their families. We'd go to thunder games and baseball games and just kind of spending time together. Right. And so at that point, man, they were in like second grade when I met them and they're now like 21, you know, it's like 22, they're doing their thing. Uh, but when they kind of got to middle school, they found out about 
fast food Valentine's. Okay. And so we're like, yo, Tito, like we want to do this. Right. And so before that we hadn't really been dressing up. We hadn't been done the limos, but when the guys wanted to like get involved, it's like, man, let's, let's step this up, you know? And like, why not? And so we, we rented tuxedos, rented a limousine, kind of stepped up our gift baskets and we went around to, to places in Oklahoma city and, and delivered those. And so, so awesome. kind of their acts of kindness landed them on the front page of the Oklahoman and the kind of the news, uh, uh, stations came and, and covered it. And so they were like the big dogs at the school the next day of yeah. um, being on the front page. Their teachers showed the news program, you know, in class. And so, so they cool. were, they were, uh, they were it. When you look forward to that once a year, right? <laughs> it only happens once a year. Yeah. Just knock it out. And yeah. Just kinda do that. And so we have a blast. And obviously, I mean, I, I see them throughout the year, but just kind of the excitement yeah. builds around the beginning of the year. And then we have to go get fitted for tuxedos. And, you know, we're dancing at men's warehouse and like just doing the whole thing. Right. Like we have a blast and we always go out to eat before and we sign, we handwrite and sign these postcards or these cards for, for the ladies. And so, um, there have been a few of the women who, uh, like have been there multiple years, like at, like Dairy Queen, we stop at this on cue, uh, at Wendy's. And so they're like, Oh, we like, remember we were hoping you were coming back this year. Or we went into a, a Dairy Queen and one of the ladies was like, I knew you would be back this year, you know? And so just like, and it gets emotional sometimes, right? It's just like, Hey, we think about you, you know, we care about you. Thank you. Um, and then we're on to our, onto our next spot. So uh-huh. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in your TEDx, and, and for people listening, I will link your TEDx talk in the description down below. So after this, you can kind of go listen to it. Um, but there was a significant moment, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're sat at the back of the limo, and yeah. you have this significant moment with um, Damarian, who was yeah. at our TEDx talk. And yes. Has he graduated OU yet? No, he's, okay, he's yeah, still at OU. Sophomore. Okay, yeah. yeah. He was going to OU, I think, maybe last year then. Um and and kind of it was just a huge moment, right? And it was probably just at the time, you know, you're you're working for Sandridge, you're having fun with the guys, you're doing what you want to do, community outreach, you're getting yes. paid, you're having a good time, you're giving back. It seems like a dream job right now for you at that time, for sure. But then you get floored by this comment, mm. right? By this moment. Yeah. So, um, yeah, tell tell the people of how that moment happened. And, yeah. Well, I mean, back to the tuxedos. I think there's something special that happens when you wear a tuxedo, right? When you like get dressed up, you like feel like a million bucks. Right. And so we're wearing tuxedos. We're in the back of this limousine. And so like our conversation changes a little bit when you dress up. Right. And so we're, we're talking about making fake business deals and, and making money. Right. We're dream, we're kind of dreaming about the future just cause we're like in this tuxedo and, and feeling good. And so Demarion, Demarion looks at me, we call him DJ. DJ looks at me and, he, and he's like, he's like, Tito, I want one of the good jobs when I get older, like, how do people get the good jobs? Like, how do people become successful? And I, I didn't have an answer for him in that moment. I knew that uh, my story was was complex, uh, and I wanted to give him kind of a, a truthful answer. And so I, I kind of froze in the moment. Uh, and, and luckily, Burger King saved me. We kind of pulled up to our next spot, and the guys hopped out. And so kind of by the time they got back, conversation had changed. And um, but that that question really stuck with me was. Hey, how do, how do people get the good jobs? I want this. I'm, I'm ambitious. How do people become successful? And so that kind of led me down, um, doing these interviews mm-hmm. of, of people yeah. so that and, and their stories. Off. Yeah. So, that, so who do you, do you start interviewing just friends, random people? Like how do you, what, yeah. What leads you, I guess, to learn more about people and their story? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was kind of, DJ was kind of the, 
the, the core kind of catalyst for like, man, let me, let me interview stories so I can go back to these guys and give them an answer of, of how people become successful. So I kind of posted about it and people signed up for times for me to interview them like via zoom phone call in person. And then from there it kind of spider webbed to some people that I didn't know, like friend, friends of friends and stuff. Uh, and so I, I would, I would interview them about these kind of, these kind of moments. So I'll, I'll just kind of share a few and, and we'll see if we can kind of find the commonality here. But I interviewed a, a guy named Jackson who was a filmmaker. So he kind of shares his, his highlight and he, he was kind of just saying, Hey, I, I worked hard to learn film and, and then I, uh, produced this award-winning music video and he kind of talked about that, that success. Yeah. And then there was, uh, another lady, Rebecca, who worked hard. She said that she worked hard to graduate from college and then got a good job at this PR firm. And then the kind of the last one of the, one of the other interviews was with Trevor and he was an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur. And he's like, man, I worked hard and quit my job and then built this, this successful business. And so the thing that kept coming up in every single one of these interviews was hard work. And I was like, man, we, we hear that all the time and we, we tell our young people that, but there was something fascinating that kind of kept coming up in every single one of these interviews. It was this one phrase that kind of hid the keys to success. And that was, and then, and then it showed up in every one of my interviews, right? It was, it was Jackson who said, Hey, I worked hard and then won this, you know, won this music video award. Um, but what he doesn't say was that his aunt Rose bought him his first camera. Right. And so th that was kind of hidden under that, that, and then phrase, you know, Rebecca said that she worked hard, which was true and then got a good job. But what she doesn't initially say and tell to the public is that she was dating this guy in college and his dad was the GM at that PR firm that <laughs> helped her get an internship, which turned into a full-time job. And then lastly, Trevor, uh, I mean, he, he did work hard, um, and then started this business and in the story, he doesn't really share publicly until we kind of dug a little bit deeper was that his in-laws owned some rental property and allowed him and his wife to live rent free for a, for a stint while they were building the business. Right. So it was a less of an expense, you know, less, less stress mentally so they can focus on, on getting this business off the ground. And so I, I call those and then moments. And so these are kind of people in our lives who uh, unlock resources, knowledge and opportunity for us to kind of take the next step. Yeah. So then you start looking at your own life. And oh like, yeah. One hundred percent. Right. One hundred percent. You start seeing. All I mean, I can do mine quickly. I'd love to hear a few of yeah, yours, yeah, but yeah. you know, at the at the beginning of the podcast, she's like, "Hey, tell us a little bit about yourself." You know, I grew up in Bartlesville, uh, and then went to OU. What I, I don't typically tell people uh, in in sharing the details is that my parents could afford for me to go there. Sure. Right. So it, I didn't really have the balance of like, man. It, do I have to do all this stuff? I need a scholarship. I need a yeah. scholarship. Thinking through this, I had some flexibility there to, to be able to make this decision. Very fortunate of that. But um, that was one of my and then moments. And then while I was at OU, I said I was in the Greek system a little bit, but I had a roommate. Um, his name was Daniel. And he would volunteer with us for that organization I started, right? And Daniel's mom was senior vice president of HR at Sandridge Energy, where I got to do community outreach. So right. she calls and says, hey, what are you doing after after school? She knows uh, about reach mm -hmm. that in, in the stuff we're doing. She's like, you're doing some cool stuff. I want to introduce you to this guy named Greg, who oversees our community outreach. I don't know if anything will happen. You guys just need to meet, right? And so I go and meet with Greg. We hit it off, and that turned into a summer internship, which turned into a full-time job, mm -hmm. and then... 
and then, and then. Yeah. So those are, those are a few of my many and then moments right. that, um, that, you know, I want to share kind of just at the, at the beginning of the pod, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're right. Like every, and everybody, you know, can look back right at a connection at a, you know, like their dad knows someone or someone they met. Like for me, a lot of mine are like golf related. Right. Um, you know, like I wouldn't, for me, everything I can tie back in, everything I have pretty much in my life, I can generally tie it back to something golf related. Mm. Um, you know, I wouldn't be, I came, came to Oklahoma to play, um, you know, a university, um, at Southern Nazarene University, played golf there and had a scholarship. Um, you know, I, I, again, had, you know, fortunate that my dad saved up some money and had enough money for me to, to hire an agency to kind of put me out there to get, because yes. that's how it works if yeah. you want to come to the States as a college athlete for every sport. And so, you know, we, we fly up to Scotland and meet with this agency and they film a video and all the rest of it, right? Well, I get a phone call, you know, um, kind of, it was kind of late in the semester because I had to put off, I had signed to go to um, Florida um, but my, my dad lost his job. Well, the company my dad worked for went out of business the like month before I was about to go to school. Mm. So I'm like, well, the money we've saved to go, my semester is now gone, exactly. right? Yeah, so yeah. I put off school for another year and, um, well, two years actually. And so I get a phone call like late, like April one year, um, April, 2011, I graduated in 09. So it's two years later. And, you know, this coach is like, I'd love to have you out here. And like I'd never been to the States before. So I'm like, yeah, let's go. Like, obviously, like, where is Oklahoma? Yeah. What is a Nazarene? I have no idea. Right? Yeah. So just jump on the plane, come out here. Me and my dad come out here. And, you know, I just like, it's miserably hot when we get here. It was that summer. It was over 100 for a record amount of days. And I get off the plane in jeans and a hoodie, like melting. Right? Like, what, like, what is here? happening? Uh, get to school and like my golf clubs were like late on Mr. Flight or whatever. And they showed up a couple of days later. Um, but, you know, like I look at like, I wouldn't be here, but the same thing, what I did again to that, what you, what we I generally don't say is that I had a 50% scholarship my first year for the other 50%. Um, I was a member of two golf clubs back home and golf is very cheap back home compared to here. Mm, like what I, what, what the average person pays a month here at a country club is what people pay per year back home. Wow. Right. And as a kid as well, it's a lot cheaper too. Um, and I was fortunate to play for my country. And if you play for your country, you don't pay membership Pers fees. Right. So like yeah. I didn't pay for golf back home basically, which out here people are like, Oh my gosh, you had two memberships. And they're like, that's two country. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's, it's different. It was like $500 <laughs> a year max for like five years. Yes. Um, so both golf courses held fundraisers for me. We had a golf day, mm. we had two golf days and that raised the money that paid for my second semester. Right. Like, and it was, uh, I mean, probably fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, significant amount. Significant. Of money. Um, you know, so like I don't, I don't really tell people that, right? Yeah. So, uh, and then when you know when I come here, I meet all these people. I'm having a great time. Uh, at the end, end of my four years, I want to stay in the country, right? I enjoy being here. I love being here. I don't want to go back to Wales. And there's a time when you're an international student, you can do a one year work visa. It's called OPT, and the only kind of only thing it the only stipulation is you have to find a job that's within your degree field. Mm. I have a marketing degree. I could do anything, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so one of my professors is like, have you thought about doing real estate? Like, no, never thought about it. He goes, well, a guy who was on my college golf team, he also played for SNU you know, prior to me. Uh, he said, he's in real estate. You should meet him. So I go for coffee with this guy 
and we talk about golf for like 40 minutes, right? And we talk yeah. about real estate for five. Yes. And we're hanging out chatting and he's like, well, what happens if, you know, after one year, he's like, I don't doubt that the real estate company is going to hire you, especially for one year. Like the problem is like, what happens after one year? Like when your visa ends, what are you going to do? Because mm. it's a specific work visa, right? You know, there's, there's a student visa, you can work a little bit, but not like a full-time work visa. So yep. you have this for 12 months. And I said, well, I got kind of three options. One is I applied to be a graduate assistant for the golf team, become an assistant, and, and just kind of do my master's, right? Like, I don't make any money, but they pay for me to do my master's. Yes. Second option is everything fails, I go home, and I don't get to come back. Well, the third option is I get married. And I was totally joking, right? Being sarcastic. And he's like, well, are you single? I was like, yeah, I'm single. And I was about to graduate. This is like April of my senior year. And he goes, well, my sister-in-law is single. And, um, you know, like I've heard about you for the time you've been in school. Like the kind of golf community is really kind of tight knit around SNU golf. And everyone kind of knows each other and keeps in touch with yep. new teams. And he's like, I've heard a lot about you. Um, you seem like a pretty cool guy. You seem like a pretty stand-up guy. Like, would you be considered, you know, would you be interested in me introducing you to my sister-in-law? I was like, I mean, what does she look like? You know, like super like shallow how, like what does she look like first, you know? Um, and he's like, you know, he'd like scope her out on Facebook and Instagram or whatever. Uh, and then we go on a date, like a double date with his wife, which is her sister and, um, you know, Taryn. And yep. we start dating, we hit it off, um, you know, have a great time. But then that summer, like I went home for eight weeks that summer to play golf for Wales. So like I left, like we started day, we dated for like six weeks and then I left for eight weeks. Yeah. So I came back, um, we know we, we kind of stayed in touch and stayed as if we were in a relationship when we traveled and, um, FaceTimed every day and all that stuff. But I came back and I was like, I mean, I've been away for eight weeks. That's a long time. Right. Especially if you've only been dating for about six. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of threw her in the deep end when, when I graduated, my parents came over and, you know, she got to meet my parents and the whole thing. And I'd already met her parents as well. Um, but like later on, uh, while I'm still working in real estate, my, you know, my first year in real estate, I am working part-time at Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club. And the only reason I worked part-time at Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club was, actually it's two reasons. One, to get free golf at the, one of the best golf courses in 100%. the city. And two, to be around people who can afford, you know, 30, 40, however much it is, thousand dollars to be a member there, right? You're around high level people. Yep. And I got to play a lot of golf with those people because out of the guys who worked in the car barn, I was probably like the one who really played golf the most. The other guys were just kind of like, eh, we yeah. play golf, but it's just a job because our parents are members. And so I played a lot of golf with, I probably played more golf than I actually worked. Uh, and I kind of found a group of guys to play golf with. And one of those guys in the group uh, was a patented trade attorney for the US government. So he's a lawyer. So we're playing golf one day after I'd come back and, you know, we're talking about kind of my visa's ending and this is kind of like late kind of November, you know, December. There's like an odd, really good day. We were kind of nice to play golf in. And he's like, you know, you should probably see an immigration attorney. I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Like, who's so, you know, I should, and he goes, well, I graduated in my law class was a lady named Kelly and she's an immigration attorney in Oklahoma City. I was like, perfect. So sent me her content information. And like a few months later, I kind of like I I knew that like Taryn was the one. I kind of I'd gone to ask her parents. You know, I had the conversation, Love right? Love it. Uh, and that was in January, and then in February, uh, we set up a meeting to go see Kelly. And me and Taryn went to see Kelly together. And I hadn't proposed at this point, right? Her parents know, but like yeah. she doesn't know. And so we see Kelly, and Kelly's like, "Congratulations on your engagement." We're like, "We're not engaged yet." She's like, "Well, are you married?" She's like, "No." Uh, just like we just want information this is kind of like how like we all know how the process works my visa ends you know effectively like may 31st and this is like the first week in february 
And Callie's like, okay, I'm going to tell it to you like as plain as possible because like you need to know how this is going to work. I'm not going to like BS around it. It takes 90 days to file all of the documents, right? So I your love timeline, this story. right? So, so it takes 90 <laughs> days to file all the documents, right? She's like, so you basically have to send everything off by March the 1st at the latest. And we're like, okay, what does that mean? She's like, you got to get married like now. It's like... Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I kind of, I want to marry her, but like back home, my culture is to have a longer engagement. You know, we don't, you know, I have friends back home who were engaged for like eight years and then they bought oh, wow. a house and had a kid and then got married. Like it's not, marriage out here is a lot more significant. I think yep. of a deal, I think probably because of like religion and, and the whole, you know, moving in together, like that's a big deal, right? Very yes. traditional. Yes. Back home, it's not. And so, you know, we drive from there, we FaceTime my parents, tell them. And my mom and dad are like, I mean, if Taryn's parents are okay with it, I mean, if Taryn's okay with it first, <laughs> right. Like, I mean, <laughs> right. You know? I haven't got to that stage yeah, yet. I haven't got to that stage yet, right? So, so I've gone, you know, so, so we drive straight to Taryn's parents' house, tell them, and basically, you know, I, I say, look, I know you've given kind of me the blessing, um, but for me to, I could stay in the country, but for me to continue working, I had to get a new visa, right? And that's yes. why we had to do it fast. I could have stayed, but I couldn't have worked. So I'm just like useless, dead weight at that time. So they kind of agreed to it. And so Taryn hasn't agreed yet. Like she's like in the room the whole time. <laughs> and so like this was, um, this was on like the first week in February and the following kind of like Saturday, I properly proposed. And then the following Tuesday, we got married in her parents' house, like super chill, super quiet. You know, my, my parents aren't flying over it. Her brother's in Alaska because he's working in the military. Like no one, I wanted to keep it super small. You know, and so like we like we do this whole kind of tiny little you know ceremony at her parents' house. And I'm like, I hate, I'm not I hate, I just despise a little bit like the whole like Valentine's married engagement time, mm-hmm. right? I'm like cliche I just think it's super cliche right or yeah. if you get engaged at Christmas I'm like you can find a better present than like a wedding ring come on be a little bit more creative <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I got engaged on the 13th of February and married on the 16th of February <laughs> <laughs> let's go right? so you know when you look back at that like you know I, I meet my wife because of one of my professors at SNU was a golfer and his former teammate is yes. a golfer and in real estate that guy's sister-in-law is who he connects me to. I end up meeting and getting married to that girl. The, I'm working in Oklahoma City Golden Country Club. The guy who introduces me to my immigration attorney, nice. like all of these and then moments, right yeah. along my, and that's just one story. Like, yes. like everyone's, if you look back, you have thousands <laughs> of these stories. Yeah. So um, yeah, we we had a wedding, small wedding, and then a year later we had like a proper wedding day where like she could walk down the aisle yeah. and do my parents in town, like have like the proper photo wedding. Yes. Right? Yep. Um, but yeah, that was February of 2000. 2016, which is nuts. That's a story. Um, it's it's a it should be a movie. And, and and these are these are the types of interviews I was doing. Right. Like I, I love <laughs> I love these types of stories. And, and so the thing that I'm thinking about right now is like, tell me about like how did you get exposed to golf? Yeah. What was it like? The questions that come up in my mind are like. Tell me about your first pair, like your set of golf clubs. So I still have my first ever golf club. It's in my head, my office, and I, and I'm, I got, I brought it here. Um, it's, I, it was given to me by my granddad. It is a wooden shafted. That's how old it is. It has a wooden shaft in it, five iron. And instead of having grooves in the face, lines for yep. non-golfers, it has dots. Like it's that old. And my granddad gave it to me when I was like two or three years old as a kid. And this photo is me kind of swinging around the backyard with it. And somehow this thing has survived. You know, I love 33 it. years right and it's been it was I remember the time I, I I went home from college one year 
I said to my parents, like, where is my old girl? I'm like, first, where is it? Because you used to be kind of sat in the corner of my, my bedroom. She's like, oh, I think I gave it to your cousin. I was like, straight to my cousin's house. <laughs> and it's like laying in the backyard. I'm like, yes. taking this right now. Exactly. And then I kind of left it. And I one time, I, I just brought it home with me. And it's in um, it's in my office now. Uh, and it's tiny, right? Like, it's, you know, it's yeah, yeah. two feet long, whatever. But but you grew uh, up I grew up around the sport. around golf, yeah. Gotcha. Because he was a, my granddad was a police officer. And so, like, because of being a police officer and a military policeman as well, like, he was kind of hot, very good at what he was like the, his nickname was Super Ted, Chief Superintendent of, like, our South Wales Police Region. It's kind of like the Chief of Police, basically. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, like, he got to meet, and he was, a, he was a Freemason as well, so, like, you know, the whole secret handshake nonsense, if you're a conspiracy theorist, all that stuff. You know, <laughs> that's he another was, like, podcast. Yeah, that's another <laughs> podcast for your tinfoil hat. But he was involved in all that, so he, he was a member of a golf club, and um, he... And he, I think he he kind of got me into golf, and then my dad started like before I really started like wanting to play golf. I was probably like five or six. My dad started six months before I did, mm. so my dad got into it as well, right? Um, because of my granddad and, and his dad as well played a little bit. So six months before I started playing, my dad was joining a golf club with this group of friends. And then for my eighth birthday, because the golf club, the, the first golf club I joined, I couldn't join until I was eight. And this was not the same golf club my granddad was a member at. This mm-hmm. was like a um, less prestigious golf club, yeah. if you want to say. And so I joined that for my eighth birthday, played golf all the time. And then I joined my second golf club where my granddad was playing when I was 14, because I couldn't be a junior member until I was 14 and I couldn't go out and play on my own until I was 14. They were kind of like super strict and very like yep. traditional golf stuff. Um, they had, they still to this day have a men's and a women's entrance to the golf club. They have a, you know, like it's very, and, and it, it's less, you know, the women can go in the men's entrance now, it's not the main entrance, but like at the time it was like men's and women's okay. entrance. Right? Yeah. Um, and I played there with my granddad for two years from my 12th to 14th birthday because I could play with him. You know, I couldn't go out on my own. But when you turn 14, I actually joined myself. Yep. Um, but, you know, I meet all these people. Like, golf is one of the greatest connectors ever, because especially if you're good at it. Because you spend four hours or five hours with someone, and most of the time, especially out here, if you're at a golf club and you're playing with members, like, they can afford to be there, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little different back home because it's cheaper, but it's still, you're around, you know, generally, like, successful people. Yep. So that kind of like taught me how to grow up, how to speak to older people, how to just carry myself in a way 100%. that like, I'm a 14 year old kid, you know, and I'm playing with my granddad's 67 year old friends. Like, yeah, they're cracking old jokes and dad jokes and probably being racist because that's how they were back mm. in the day, right? Of all the, you know, typical, I mean, this was 1990 in early 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you think of the generation that were born in the forties. And so like, you know, I, I learned all this stuff and I got to be around people and learned every cuss word in the book because golf is extremely frustrating. <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, but I met so many awesome people, and those people, you know, from my 14th birthday all the way up till I was 21, like those connections led to raising a golf tournament for me, mm-hmm. and raising, you know, raising money for me and having a golf tournament, yes. having a dinner or whatever it was, um, and just kind of being involved. And yeah, like I, I you know, I look at you know the golf world now, and and every, everybody I talk to, I'm like, go work at a country club. Mm-hmm. One, the country clubs need people to work at. Mm-hmm it's really not that hard to just load bags and drive golf carts around. Yeah, yeah it's hot in the summer, but it ain't that bad. Yeah, Especially like, and I wouldn't just like go to Lake Heffern and go to a public golf course. Like think about it, you know, use your time, like go to a country club, mm. right? And meet those people. And, and the good thing about America and, and you know, Oklahoma and the States and all that stuff is like, they're very entrepreneurial driven. So if you see, you know, if you're an older guy, you're in your forties, your fifties, you're a country yeah. member or whatever, and you see some kid out there just grinding, just 
busting his ass, like working, like running around, like on time, looks good, like takes care of himself. Like you respect that. You kind of, they see a little bit of themselves in that. So then they just, you know, strike up a conversation, learn basic conversation mm. skills um, and just kind of like, you know, learn how to play golf. If you're great at golf, like it opens a lot of doors, yeah. you know, like and it's something you can do till you die, yeah. which helps too. So. And so I'd, I'd, the, the question that kept coming up um, was, like what happens when you don't have access yeah. to those types of relationships, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I'm I'm talking with with young men who are on the east side, which is a as a part for the listeners who are not from Oklahoma City sure. is is a part of Oklahoma City that's kind of historically been excluded mm-hmm. um, for you know um, in in regards to race and, yeah. and different things like that. And so it's it's predominantly black, predominantly low income okay. um, people who don't live on the east side typically classify the east side by all of its kind of negative characteristics sure. rather than it's positive characteristics that it has. And so that was the question that coming up is like, I kept hearing these stories, but what happens if you you don't have these, these relationships that unlock the doors. And so, um, you know, those are things that, that kind of come up is sometimes, yeah, it's just like, it it feels like we might say, Hey, just go work here. But even then, how you get that, right. is like, is some of those nuances of like, well, well, let's talk about transportation, right? Like, like, how do you get there? Well, how'd you get your first car? You know, it's like, and, and how'd you learn how to play golf? Right there. That's an expensive sport, you know? So for for people who, um, who kind of have been economically left out, Mm -hmm. can't afford to play golf. Mm -hmm. Um, and so and develop those skills and, and understand the, there's like nuance and kind of rules to the game. Right. And like, Sure. Once again, kind of that speak that you talk on the golf course or, yeah. or what you do, there's kind of a, a culture around golf yeah. that if you didn't grow up with it can seem foreign. And so when you're in that space, it's like, I, I don't really know what to do, which then changes the dynamics, right, of, yeah. of the relationship. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of nuance 100%. there. And, and even it's fascinating because it kind of reminds me of Rebecca's story um, kind of back in the, in the pod where she got that job at that PR firm. Mm-hmm. Well, later in her interview, she was telling me that they went out on an intern lunch and it was 10 interns who were sitting around the table and she was like the girl next to me slipped up and said that um, her dad worked with Gary and that's how she got the internship and then she was like well then the guy to my right said well I went to school with Abigail and that's how I'm here and they went around the table and all 10 people had similar stories right and so that when I heard that I was like for some people for a, a certain percentage of our our country and, and we can say Oklahoma kind of bring it here is like, that's how life yeah. works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there's a big percentage of people who that doesn't work. That's a locked opportunity. Mm-hmm. Cause what I heard was like, if you don't know someone who knows somebody, yeah. you're not getting that internship. Mm-hmm. And so that shot or, or that shot, yeah. that chance. Right. And, and so, um, I, and I'm not calling out any country clubs or anything, but you, no, you but didn't mention it's like, yeah. Hey, some of the members, kids, you know, work here. So that's a percentage of the jobs, you know, it's like who, who is actually getting these shots at the opportunity yeah. is is what um, I've been able to kind of talk about since this TED talk yeah. of kind of the fascinating nuance of how people get these opportunities yeah. um, and kind of uh, kind of even talking about you talked about your grand- grandfather and kind of even kind of this legacy of and then moments that get passed down from generation that yeah. are really hard to see uh, and that was my grandpa's story was I interviewed him before he passed away and and he shared a little bit about how he got this good job at this gas pump factory and he got paid enough that he could go to college and not have to work during school so I said well grandpa tell me about that job you know it's like did you apply did you submit a resume and he's like 
No, uh, my next door neighbor was the hiring manager and he'd seen me grown up, grow up, you know, it was like, and, um, I was a hard worker. He saw my paper route, all that, and gave me a shot. And he was like, we didn't have enough money back then. So he'd actually take me to and from work uh, and got to get to know him. He became a mentor, all that. Well, I'd never heard that story. Um, and I did some additional research and I found the 1940 census data and I found the name of my grandpa's next door neighbor who unlocked that opportunity. Yeah. And his name is Ray Simmons. Okay. And that was a name that I'd, I'd never heard before. Right. And so I, I feel like my grandpa wasn't being malicious or sneaky or like trying to hide this detail from me. I just think it's the way that we've been trained to tell our stories is that we leave out these important details of how people get to where we're at. So we just say, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work hard, you know, you, you need to have a little bit more grit, you need to address it, you know, you need to do these certain things without telling kind of these additional that details for, yeah, these and then moments. And so that's what I've really been inviting people to. Yeah. Well, as I did uh, more research on my grandpa's story, um, I found another document that, um, you know, back in the day, we we practiced kind of these exclusionary housing practices. And it was, it was known as redlining, which you can kind of look up, but essentially cities said, Hey, we're going to draw uh, on our map, kind of these red lines where black people are, are going to live and can only live here kind of in the worst parts of the city where it, industry is happening, water pollution, all, all this stuff. And that's where black people are going to live. And I found a document um, that said that no black or brown folks could live in my grandpa's neighborhood. And so when I saw that, I instantly got, I'll probably get a little emotional. I instantly got transported back to the limousine mm. uh, on Valentine's Day. And I, and I thought about DJ and I thought about his great grandfather that if he happened to live in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where my grandpa lived, right? He couldn't even live next to Ray Simmons, right? Yeah. Like there, there's none of that kind of golf course bumping into each other right. opportunity, you know, coming from that because he's historically been left out um, of of the equation. He, he can't live in that neighborhood. He can't go into these certain places. He can't golf at the golf course where opportunity lives and thrives. And so my, my brain and the conversation I want to have is like, what's like the residue from that, yeah. right? Like, what are we seeing today that because of 30, 40, 50 years ago, us excluding, and, and historically, us just ex excluding a certain population of people, what has that done for today? Right. Um, and so um, those are really fascinating conversations that I hear and, and really want to invite people to kind of share their and then moments. Right. Because um, what I seeing what I, I want to create is kind of a more truthful narrative of how people get to where they're at. So that when our young people in our city are like, man, I want to be, I want to sell real estate. Right. And they see these YouTube videos where it's like, you can make a million dollars. And if you have these properties and all this stuff, they're it's like, nonsense. right. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you're like, but yeah. you also didn't know that, you know, Mike got into real estate because he played golf yeah. and was introduced this way. Right. Yeah. And, and so then he still worked hard. I'm not discrediting your story. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was this relationship that unlocked this opportunity right. for you to learn more about it. Yeah. And you're right. It, it still, it still needs hard work, right? But it's oh, the 100%. opportunity and everyone needs to work hard, but it's the opportunity that before that, you know, yeah, you can work hard, but if you have no opportunity, you work, your hard work's kind of just spinning your wheels. Yeah. It? And, and again, like you said, you need to train people to tell you these and then moments because the reason I got the golf job was because a kid on my team worked at the golf course and he was graduating and moving 
And he's like, yeah, hey, I got look. someone who's going to replace me. Here he yeah. is. He's on my team. Yeah. Like, I, again, like subconsciously, and, just and, don't even think about and, that. Right. And how, how many of those opportunities around our city, right. around our state, yeah. are like that? Yeah. And so then you say, okay, if you don't have that relationship, you're, you're not getting that opportunity. So now we've closed some doors. I, yeah. I call them I didn't lock even know opportunities. It was a right. I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of like that that was an opportunity for Yes. Me, right. And so, so, so what I call that is a locked opportunity yeah. if you don't know somebody. And so then um, I kind of share in the TED Talk, which, which you can see is this idea of unlocking opportunities for people, right? My, my grandpa had a key to unlock that opportunity at that gas pump factory, and that key had a specific name, and that name was Ray Simmons, right? And, and so what I realized when I so I got to move to the east side, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago. Um, I was working in schools. I just wanted to be in the mix, you know. I was like getting to know these families and all that. And as I'm getting to know Demarion and, and others, I realized that in, in America, people are born with drastically different amounts of keys, uh-huh. right? There's people with lots of keys, uh, with few keys, and and so. Um, what kind of happens and, and what has happened is that kind of people with the good jobs or with the good opportunities or or maybe another way to put it is like people with lots of keys yeah. to unlock opportunities kind of live with each other, around each other and work with each other. Mm-hmm. And people with few keys live around and work with people with few keys. And so when opportunity comes, it's like, I just don't have as many keys. Mm-hmm. And so that's the conversation that has been really fun since, since the TEDx talk is to kind of introduce kind of this new paradigm for one telling your story and then two like how is opportunity unlocked for people and how as a city can we be known as a place that that keys are kind of kind of freely given because right now we are siloed and an opportunity is siloed and um and i really want to i really want to break down or connect those silos yeah well and and you look at like how do we, how do you be practical with, you know, like giving advice to, like you said, you know, you're, you're around these kids and, and doesn't matter, even if they're on the east side, even on the south, doesn't matter, you know, west yes. side, doesn't matter where they are. But if you meet someone, you know, whether it's at work or whether it's, you know, um, out in the football field or wherever, yes. and they ask you that question and you're subconsciously now, cause they've heard your talk, like how do you basically give these kids more keys, mm. right? How do you be proactive about that and think, you know, like some of these kids don't get like transportation, right, or, yep. or whatever it is. I mean, some sadly, some of them are struggling for food. Like it's that. It's really you know. It's sadly that's the reality. And you know, like I said, if you listen to my story, you're like, well, just you know, like I said, just get a job at a country club. Well, it's not that easy. Mm. You know, I know there's a country club close to the east side. Twin Hills is probably the closest one. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's. And I'm thinking about now, like, all right, how do we get there? Right? How do you even like? dress the right way to walk into a country club. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance. There's so much to it that like now I, I didn't think of. Yeah. Now I think of it. Now I'm aware of it. Yeah, if, yeah. if, if you go to any urban school or, or kind of low-income school uh, in the middle of the school day, um, you know, there, there's a high school on the east side, um, Douglas. If you go there, there'll, there'll be eight cars in the student parking lot. And then you go to a school like in Bartlesville or, or the suburbs, and it's like we had to build an extra parking lot, right, for for student parking, right? And so now we're talking about like how do people, how do young people access opportunity, right? I was driving to a mentor's house. I had access to yeah. positive people in my life who could invest in me. You could drive to the golf course. You can you can do these things, and so it really comes down to kind of that economics. Well, 
you know, why doesn't their parents just buy a car? Why don't they go buy a car? You know, it's like, yeah. well, these, these are kind of the and then moments that we're talking about. It's like, how do people get the good jobs that like pay well enough to be able to afford these things or be able to provide a car to your kid? Yeah. You know, so that was that was actually a question that I would ask in these interviews was like, hey, tell, tell me about your first car. People love talking about that, right? It's like, yeah. I've had this beat up Chrysler minivan that the left door wouldn't even close. You know, we had that thing yeah. bungeed and, and all that, but it, it you had a car. But you had a car. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, I had to save up and, and buy my own car. It's like, well, well, tell me a little bit about the job that you had in order to save up, right? Yeah. Well, I was mowing yards with my my buddy's dad had a had a lawn company, right? right. And and that's where I worked to to save up that money to buy yeah. the car, right? Yeah. And so even even kind of that nuance of of people getting and accessing yeah. uh, opportunity is is an, is another nuance to the to the conversation that we don't often think about. Yeah, nobody. Yeah, you're right. It's just not even in our like. It's not even in the realm of just thought for us like it's just so like because we've been trained because we don't even think about that first level right like the yeah. first step for us is oh it's just ask a friend or ask someone's dad right it's yeah. not before that it's like well how do I know that person yeah. and you talk about first car my first car cost me $1,500 it was a 98 Nissan Altima at 150,000 miles on it I bought that first car um, with money that I had won from a golf tournament Mm-hmm. Go first. I graduated university in May. A buddy of mine um, said, "Hey, I got a great golf tournament. It is what's the holiday that's in May? Memorial Day, Labor Day weekend? Is it Memorial Day? Whatever, Memorial Day weekend. Yep. In May, go down and we play really good. And I came back with fifteen hundred dollars in cash. I was like, wow, like, yeah. this is awesome, right? <laughs> yeah, um, for sure, that's awesome. Know, yeah, it was amazing. And uh, but." The guy who I played golf with was who played at Oklahoma City. I played at SNU. We become friends, and the company that he works for sponsored us to play in that golf tournament. Yeah. So it didn't cost us a thing to play in that golf tournament. It was in New Mexico, and I go back every year. It's fantastic. Um, and so a buddy, you know, like that, right? I meet a guy. The company he works for sponsors, you know, because it was an all field tournament. So every all field sponsors a team. Yeah. We go win. And we keep the money that we win. We're just representing them, There's right? They don't want the money. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they do, but they didn't get it. It's because we won. So I come back and then I reach out to my host family who was, you know, every kind of international student gets a host family. Yeah. The uncle of the host family, who I actually call now Uncle John, uh, said, I got a car for you. And I was like, great. How much do you offer? And he was like, I don't know. Uh, let me let me run it through like the Kelly Blue Book or whatever. Yeah. And I think I come back with $1,500. I think I paid like twelve fifty for the car. Right, yep. but like you look at, like I said, you look you deep into the deep dive into the story, and you see these like, well, 100%. why why did I even get that money? You know, how did I meet Brian, my buddy? Like, and that's through golf and golf. Yep. You know, like that golf tournament costs a lot more than fifteen dollars dollars to pay in, right? And we <laughs> oh, didn't pay sure. for it, right? Yes, yes. You know, so just like there's so you're right, there's so many of these moments, and so since since the TEDx talk, and you have kind of been on the circuit of talking as many places as possible, and, yeah. and in companies, and and to all these people. Like, what are the practical things that, that kind of lessons learned that, that people listening can yes. take into their lives, or even look at their own lives and be like, oh, how do I give my keys away? Yeah. I, I think the first thing is is really taking a deep dive into your own story. Mm-hmm. I, I think we so naturally kind of get caught up. We, we kind of forget, honestly, like as I've been speaking, uh, I have people kind of process some of their and then moments and some of the the feedback I've been getting kind of in these sessions is like, Taylor, I haven't thought about these names in 
Mm-hmm. forever right it's yeah. like some of these nuances I just I just haven't thought about and so since I haven't thought about it I don't really tell that in 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 my story and so I think naturally as you kind of process there's this level of humility that comes and, and once again I need to say we're talking from a very like small percentage of America right yeah. um, and and so I'm, I'm definitely speaking to to a certain audience uh, but there's this kind of level of humility that comes to say, hey, I actually didn't do it all on my own. I, I didn't pull myself up by my bootstraps right. completely. I, I did work hard. Yeah. I did face challenge. I might have faced loss. I might had, you know, a learning disability. I might have these challenges which are in everyone's life and I don't want to discredit that in, in any way. But I just want to start telling the part of the story of the help that you did receive. To start. Right, to start. And so I think... That sounds small, but I think it's actually really big. I think mm-hmm. it takes time to process that. I think we need to tell our families the full story. If you have kids, um, maybe you don't even know your spouse's uh, full and then moments, right? These are these are conversations that you can have. And so the hope is that a level of humility and empathy will come from that, which then in turn will say, how do I be and then moments for other people? And I think that looks completely different in every different context. So, you know, I, I don't want to give give examples, but you know, it's like, Hey, in the real estate industry, we could do this in, in this industry. Maybe we could do this. Maybe we could, part of this is exposure to young people of like, I didn't even know golf existed. Right. Or I didn't even know this part of the city existed. And so being able to even expose kids to, to deciding what they want to do, um, is, is key. So one is to process your story. Two is to kind of start evaluating your network. Um, and, in telling your story differently, inviting other people to tell their stories differently. And then two or, or maybe three, whatever number we're on is, is to kind of think about in your context, how can we look outside of our kind of normal network of how we're doing day-to-day business and bring people who have historically been left out into what we're doing, right? So even in this podcast, right, of in, inviting younger people in who might not have access to equipment um, and, and learning how to use, you know, this equipment and getting those practice reps. Uh, the thing, uh, another concept I kind of share about is this idea of kind of lower stakes practice reps, of that growing up, you kind of get these chances to explore and, and do these things without the fear of like, completely crashing and burning. And so uh, what does it look like to create more practice reps for different kids in our city who don't get practice reps? So those are, those are just a few of the things that, that kind of come to mind. I, I feel like um, when we tell our stories, yeah. um, I think that will unlock opportunities for more people to thrive. I think so too. How do, going the other way, like how, you know, if you meet someone, like how do you tell the kids, right, to you know, who don't have opportunity, like, how do you tell them? Cause the, cause that's also a thing too, right? You can, you know, you can yeah. teach the old, the old generation to give back, but the kids have to be able to receive it and learn yeah. and see those opportunities. So how do you teach, you know, through the podcast, like I, you know, I got to meet some awesome people. So how do you, totally. how do you, can you teach the kids to reach out to those people and do it in a way that like makes it effective as well? Right. Yeah. I think one nuance to this before I kind of get into that, cause I, because I've gotten this question before and I've, I've actually really been wrestling with it. Yeah. Is I wish we could tell all of our kids in this state the same thing. Yeah. And, and I grew up being told, if you work hard, if you, you know, are, are polite and you are interested in, in kind of do these things, then you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. 
right? You'll, you'll meet the right people. You're kind of already in the, you know, since we go to church with these people, yeah. we do We're already X, y, in the system. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what I want to tell Demarion. Yeah. I want to say, just be yourself, dude. Yeah. Like you're hilarious. You're hardworking. You're fun loving. You know, it's like you, you have this work ethic. You work three jobs right now. Like just do you and, and explore and do all that. That's not a, a benefit that many of our kids in our city have. And so that's why I want to, that's why I want to talk to the adults to say, you guys are the opportunity holders. Mm-hmm. And so we get to set the rules. Gotcha. We, we get to decide who comes in and who gets to, to do certain things and who gets to sit where and who gets to do these things that it's like, let's tell our kids to continue to work hard, to focus on their studies, to have fun, to, to do extracurriculars, to play a sport in, in high school, mm-hmm. to do those things that we tell a, a smaller percentage of our kids in, in, in Oklahoma. Yeah. I want to tell all our kids that and then challenge us adults to say, hey, Let's open this up. There is opportunity. We have enough keys. We're not going to run out of keys. Right. And let's allow other kids to uh, to walk through these doors. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're right. Because, yeah, the doors have got to be open in the first place. And, you know, I mean, just I think I saw probably something on Instagram. It was a clip and it was like, you know, the one thing that like is one key, biggest key to success and it's connections. Mm. Right. It's not, you know, when we look back, it's all of those and then moments. It's yeah. not, you know, yes, it's part of working hard, but, but you look at, I think they looked at like, you know, some study of like all these successful people and they looked at their story and they're like, it's all of those and then moments. It's mm-hmm. all of the people in their, in their circle that they like, you know, that whole five connection, yeah. five people connection thing, whatever the quote is. It's true. Mm. Right. But like you said, those people have the opportunity for certain people. Yeah. So how do you let, less fortunate or whoever into the, those, those opportunity moments. Yeah. And that's the tough part. That's the tough part. And I think there's a lot of history behind it of the reasons why we, we don't bump into people, you know, we kind of live in our, in our bubbles and all of that. And so I, I actually think it's, it, it's kind of a, an issue of trust. We, mm-hmm. we don't unlock opportunity for people we don't trust. So we just don't have enough trust building opportunities, right? These, these small things of like me golfing for four hours is a low stakes trust building yeah. exercise, right? It's like, I can see if this is, this person is trustworthy, right. you know, the way that, that he or she acts, the jokes I learn about, about them is like, okay, this is not someone I want right. to deal with or, Hey, I really like. And so that's a yeah. trust building opportunity. And so we need to create more of those across our city yeah to allow people from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses to be able to kind of start building those, building trust in low stakes manners. Because when it happens, it's always high stakes because it it doesn't happen that frequently. And the dynamics change with that. So how like being, again, being practical going forward, like are you planning to host events and host kind of like the one thing the Oklahoma Hall of Fame does and, um, again, I have an, another and then moment of which I can dive into of how are you, how we even end up here today recording. But like one thing we do on, on our kind of young professionals board here is we have outreach events. Mm. So like four times a year, and this is outreach events so that we get people interested in Oklahoma Hall of Fame and, and want to be on the board and stuff. But we basically go somewhere four times a year and have an Oklahoma Hall of Fame speak and people come to the event and that's yep. an outreach event. Get you know, Everyone invites a plus one, right? Yep. Is there a way to do that in an and then moment situation, like capacity, sure. right? You think yep. of Colonel Stan Evans, right? He was one of our guests. Um, JB or, you know, Mayor Holt or all these people or even just business owners. Like, is there any way to post a monthly event that you invite, you know, the guys to, right? Yeah. Or the group to. So then, you know, because it's, I'm just trying to figure out, is there a practical way to bridge that gap that's like, 
you know, it's easy to tell the guy, you know, the, the person with all the opportunity, hey, you've got to open your doors. And, you know, but how can you create and facilitate that to make it easier yeah. for everybody? Yeah. You know, because it takes work and time. It takes work and time. Is and, that a possibility? And, and that's, what, that's what people have to decide if they're going to step into. It, it, yeah. we, we have set up things right now where it's easy to kind of continue life as it is right. within our networks and all these things. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to take a little bit of effort. And so the, the things that I've seen and the things to think about, and we can kind of wrap on this, yeah. is is if you want to create and then moments, there's also even dynamics within that, right? So we'll take your example is, hey, we want to, we want to invite some, some young people to, to our young professionals gathering. Um, there's, there's rules and kind of cultural norms within your gathering that people outside of those norms don't always, don't always understand. And so what I've seen is that um, people will come into that environment that they're not used to and they'll ma- they'll do some faux pas like some some stuff will happen that's like oh I, d- I didn't know that was a rule or I, d- I didn't know sure. that yeah. and the people who are normally there will kind of write them off oh that was weird or that was inappropriate and so um, that person isn't really invited back or it's kind of weird or all of that and so that opportunity kind of gets shut there because of that that thing there's I saw a funny video recently of a girl who brought her boyfriend to the house for the first time for dinner and they all were in on it the family that said hey before we start eating we're going to stand up oh, and I say the this. pledge it's hilarious and then we're going to turn around and sit down right yeah. and so the video's on the boyfriend and they all stand up and he's like awkwardly like standing up and like trying not to laugh and then they all spin and he spins and kind of sits down it's like it's kind of like that where it's like these there, there are cultural norms and rules of how people do stuff and how am I supposed to know if I've never been there and the flip is for you or, or for other people it's like man there's there's cultural rules there's all this stuff in other communities that you're not yeah. involved in right there's there's rules at the dominoes table there's things that you say or don't say right yeah. um, on the east side that that most people or who whoever haven't been over there wouldn't know those yeah. um, but so those are the things that I think we need to be attuned to of yeah. if we're going to open this up I think we need to be more gracious we need to be more um, helpful we need to have this like level of listening and understanding and then maybe not even be as stringent with our rules <laughs> um, yeah. and, and be okay with people you know not wearing the exact right thing um, and, and things like that. I think that would be one of the small steps if, if we're going to take this to kind of open up and start building relationships that let's evaluate what are kind of unspoken rules and are we okay with people breaking them and, and continuing to give opportunity yeah. uh, in an empathetic and, and open way. Yeah. And I think to do it effectively, you've got to go to the kids. Right, you can't just yeah. say, "Hey, come to the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. We're hosting an event." No, you got to go to them. Yeah, you've got to find a church in the east side or wherever we're going, and just like host it there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's different nuances. I think it's different for everybody. Yeah. You know, it's like there's there's people that you you might work with, or you know, there's there's relationships, there's organizations, the Urban Bridge, there's Freedom City, there's Restore, there's countless nonprofits who have existing trust trusted relationships yeah. um, that you could go through that avenue um, to Is kind of working, kind of build though? those. I mean, it depends on who, who you're asking, right? So the, the other thing is like, <laughs> if we have another minute, is, so I've been on the east side for eight or nine years and I've seen organizations come in and try to do this and they promise these things yeah. and then they don't follow through. Yeah. And so my, my question has been is like, how long does, does an individual get punched and then not flinch, you know, it's like we had an organization come in, uh, kind of a, a builder say, Hey, we're going to build this, um, really cool, um, 
building and we want to give you this space to your neighborhood association. Um, kind of dream up something, right? Would you have computers? You guys can meet on your monthly meetings here. And then a few months later, he comes back and says, hey man, the financial, or he talks to yeah. the neighborhood, hey, the financials haven't worked. Uh, you guys are actually going to have to pay to to like come here and like have this space, like rent it out. And so it's like, and we, we can't afford that, right? It's like, we, we can't do that. That's one example. Yeah. And so how many of those, which has happened year after year for decades of people coming in, hey, this is gonna happen. It's not, I've only been there eight years, nine years, 10 years, right. and I've seen all of these things. And yeah. so there's even that dynamic to yeah. be aware of that you aren't the first to try to, to try to build these and then moments. And so there's patience and time and trust that has to be built. And I don't say that to discourage. Right. I say that to like, just encourage in the intentionality mm -hmm. uh, and that needs to be there as we're trying to uh, unlock opportunity yeah. for others. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, like you said, this is generational. This is taking time. This is going to take a lot more time. It's not just a quick fix. Like this is something that's going to be taking 50, 60, 100 years of, of and their moments and people opening doors and making it accessible. And it's just how do you start that in a proactive mm. way, right? Instead of like, yeah, it's easy to tell everybody, hey, like be, you know, open more, uh, open opportunity to others. But if those other people aren't even in the room, then mm. that's, the, that's you know, we got to keep going back and back and back to sure. how do we get these people together? Yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's uh, I love what you're doing. It's been awesome to see kind of since the Tarius talk, you've just kind of like ran with it, right? <laughs> and had that opportunity and everyone's going to you and, and you know, you're traveling and speaking mm. and it's not just in Oklahoma City that you're doing stuff, like you're kind of going over the country, which is, yeah, which is awesome to see, so. Yeah, I wanna have, I wanna have that, that conversation, that nuanced con conversation mm -hmm. uh, about, uh, about how people become successful, about how we as leaders can unlock opportunities for others. And those conversations have been really cool. It's been cool speaking outside of kind of Oklahoma City where it's like friends and family who are gonna be nice, right? And you get in front of like, I've got to speak this last summer to people that, I mean, complete strangers has been awesome and getting that feedback, uh, has been, has been really helpful as I'm kind of crafting this story for, for opportunity to be unlocked for others. Yeah. Sick. Uh, people listening, how do they get involved? How do they, how do they want you? First of all, how do they learn from you how to, you know, give away more of their keys, but also how do they reach out to have you come speak at their place of business or, or even just community? Yeah. So, uh, I have a website called andthenmoments.com. That's a, a great place to, to go and, and we can connect there as well as I'm on social media, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Tito or Taylor Doe, any of that, as well as uh, I think you're going to link to the, the TEDx talk in the show notes. So we'd love for you to watch that mm -hmm. and, uh, and then have a conversation. That's all it's about. So, thanks, man. Appreciate thanks, you coming Mike. down. I know you're super busy and I appreciate you coming in. Uh, like Taylor said, people listening, I'll put the links to everything in the description so you can go there, check it out, and, uh, and then moments.com. And we will see you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them 
do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. This episode is brought to you by Hope is Alive. Hope is Alive exists to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. Join us Saturday, September 30th for our Sobriety Sprint 5K as we remember, honor, and celebrate those who've lost their lives. This family-focused event will feature a one-mile fun run, inflatables, food trucks, and more. Register to run or honor a loved one at sobrietysprint.com. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.